Okay, let's get into things this morning. So this is the fourth weekend that we've been digging into the covenants leading up to the new covenant, right? So just to quickly establish that Jesus became this new covenant that we now live under, right? And the way that he like gave this to us as a seal is that he gave us the Holy Spirit, right? So as followers of Christ, I have the Holy Spirit, you have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us, and that is this seal that we are under the new covenant. So that's what we're building toward in this season as we look forward to, you know, Jesus' birth as we celebrate that at Christmas. And so this morning is the fourth sermon or message in this series. So first we looked at the Noahic covenant. And, you know, that's where God floods the earth and then makes this covenant with Noah. No strings attached. It's just, I won't, I will never flood the earth again this way. I will never cleanse the, the impurity of, of people the way that I did here. So there's that covenant. And then later on, the Lord establishes a covenant with Abraham um, that he promises to give an overabundance of offspring and land to Abraham if he and, the, and his family will just do what is right before the Lord. And then later on, he establishes a covenant with Moses and the people of Israel, right? We talked about that last week. Um, so God gives them the Ten Commandments. He gives them the law um, and promises that he'll prosper and protect them as long as they live in, dis, in not in disobedience, as long as they live in obedience to him. Um, and so we've been able to look at those and see... Um, a couple of things in these covenants. One, that the Lord is faithful, and he never breaks his end of a covenant. If the Lord makes a covenant, it is as good as good. And we also see in these covenants that the idea is there, but we aren't really quite up to the task of holding up our end of the covenant, right? So like with the covenant between um, the Lord and Moses and the people of, of Israel, our end of the covenant was to follow the law, to do what we were told, to obey the Lord, to live with our hearts right before the Lord. And then if it doesn't take long after that to see that there's just this pretty constant cycle of the people's hearts wandering from the Lord, giving themselves over to other gods and other idols. And before you know it, they aren't living in prosperity. They aren't living, right, under some of those things that the Lord had promised because we aren't really able to hold up our end. And even in that, every single time that the heart of the Israelites would turn away from the Lord, they might go through consequence for that, right? Um, they might even lose their land over that. But every single time we see the merciful heart of God that would still turn back and bring them back to his heart, right? There was always another chance with the Lord. So as we're continuing to build really toward this ultimate fulfillment of all of these covenants, the secret is, I'll just give it away, it's Jesus, right? Jesus is the fulfillment of all those covenants. We're moving forward in the story and we're heading in that direction. This morning, we're going to look at the Davidic covenant. So the covenant that the Lord makes with his servant, David. I'm excited about this because I think that what's in here has a lot to say about what the Lord wants to do among us in this coming season. Um, it's funny, like, I probably won't get into all of it today. Um, but as I was talking about Steve embodying some things, there are things in this story that I'm seeing Steve embody in this season. And it's showing me that I think the Lord is going to be, he's going to be releasing some really good things in us in the season. And I think that this story has some things to say about that. This covenant even has some things to say about that. So I just want to give a little background on 
Actually, let's read the passage. No, no, I should give background first. I'm going to give a little background, and then we're going to read the passage together where the Lord's covenant actually is with David. So first, um, to just sum things up, we had the, the king, uh, the first king of Israel was Saul. So before Saul, Israel lived under these judges that the Lord had appointed. And actually, it wasn't the Lord's intention to have Israel have kings, right? The Lord was the king of Israel. But man is man, and they kind of requested, we want to have a king, we want to have a king. And so it wasn't the Lord's way, but he granted them what they got, or what they wanted, right? So he appoints this man, Saul, who is the Lord's anointed, meaning that the Spirit of God came on him, anointed him to be the king of Israel, right? And then at some point, Saul's heart begins to turn away from the Lord. It gets pretty ugly and pretty bad at the end. And while Saul, um, at some point while he is king, he's basically told by a prophet, you aren't God's chosen anymore. More, <laughs> and he has chosen, he's choosing somebody else. And so Saul ends up getting really jealous about that. While that's happening, um, the Lord anoints David while he is this young shepherd boy out in a field, which in their culture, it just you know, it wasn't a position of high esteem, right? Like nobody really seemed, cared about David. He was just kind of out there caring for the sheep, doing his thing. Um, and all of a sudden he's told by the Lord, you are the Lord's anointed and you are going to be king over Israel. Long, 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 long time passes. Saul gets super jealous, keeps trying to kill David. It gets crazy. If you want to read about some drama, go read 1 Samuel into 2 Samuel. It is like reality TV on steroids. Crazy stuff, man. Um, so anyway, time continues to pass, um, and eventually David is finally steps into his like position as king of Israel, and you could preach a gazillion sermons on everything that takes place from there up till now. But So David becomes king, and then it makes clear, um, by the way, the story of David, you can actually read it in two different places in the Bible. First and second Samuel tell the story leading into David and through his life. And then later on, First and Second Chronicles actually also tell the story of David. Um, and they outline some other things that First Samuel does. And they're great to read together because they both kind of have little tidbits. I didn't know that until way too recently. Um, figured that out, and so I started nerding out on both. But anyway, David becomes king. And the first thing that he does is he says, we're going to get the Ark of the Covenant. All of this will matter, so I'm nerding out, but this, this will matter for later on. So the Ark of the Covenant was something that the Lord had given to the Israelites. He had Moses, I think it was Moses, huh? he had them construct this Ark, this physical thing that would represent, more than represent God's presence. It's like the thing that God's presence dwelled in. And this was like God's way of dwelling with his people before Jesus, right, where like we all have the Holy Spirit and where two or more are gathered, I'm in the midst and we just like invite him and he comes, all that good stuff. Before that, this Ark represented God's presence. And so it had existed in this tabernacle that Moses had constructed. There was all these instructions behind it. It was in this place called the Holies of Holies. Only the high priest could go in um, once a year to offer sacrifice, all this stuff. Well, during Saul's reign, um, that ark had actually been captured by the enemy. And prior to David becoming king, that ark was just sitting in a barn somewhere. <laughs> so imagine that, like the presence of God just like being left on the wayside in a barn. Well, the first thing David says when he becomes king is he's like, we're going after the ark, as we didn't in the days of Saul, but we are now. And so... 
they go and they, they get the ark and they come to bring it back. Long story short, they bring it into the city and there's all this rejoicing and dancing and music because they're bringing the presence of God back into this city that David had recently captured. Jerusalem is now this place where they're dwelling and they bring it in and it's all this, this partying and celebrating. This is where the story happens. I just referenced a few minutes ago actually where David dances with all his might you know, and like, just looks like an absolute fool. And afterwards he comes home and one of his wives is like, bro, you look like an idiot. And David's like, I'll become even more undignified than this. Um, so that's where that story happens, right? And then they bring this ark in and they, David builds a new tent. It's called the, the tent or the tabernacle of David. And they put the ark in there. Um, so that almost leads us up to where this covenant happens, right? So David is recently king. He captures Jerusalem. They go and get the ark. They bring the ark, God's presence, back into the city, and he builds this, this tent for it, right? So after this, David is sitting in his palace, which had recently been built for him. Like People from other lands came and donated all this cedar and these things and built David a palace. It's just like proof that the Lord really is with this man, right? Like everything is going his way. The Lord's anointing is upon him. And it's here that David says uh, something to the effect that I'm here sitting in this palace, in this beautiful cedar palace, and the Lord, the presence of God is out there in a tent, right? Like he's, he's seeing something isn't quite right here. I'm sitting in this beautiful cedar palace. The Lord's presence is dwelling in this tent. Nathan, who is kind of one of his prophets that's been with him for a long time, he says, go and do whatever in your heart. Um, but then later on that night, this is leading us to our passage here. So later on that night, the Lord came to Nathan on behalf of David, and this is what he said. Do you have that up there, bro? All right, sweet. Okay, so 2 Samuel uh, chapter 7, verses 5 through 13. I'm just going to read it for us. Go and tell my servant David... This is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build a house for me to dwell in? I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I have been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now then, Tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, and appointed you ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all of your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men on earth, and I will provide a place for my people Israel, and I will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did at the beginning and have, ever, have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and your rest with your ancestors, and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever.
forever. You can leave it right there, actually. Please, Chris, thank you. Okay, so the Lord says a lot in here. A lot of really, really good things. Um, okay, so I think there's, there's two things I want to look at. I'm just trying to think where I want to start. Let's start. All right, there's two things. So the first is just, no, I should start there. Okay, so I want to talk about this, this house thing a little bit, as I think that this matters for us um, is as a people now. So you have David who wants to build a house for the Lord. And we see that this is not just like a new desire for him. He's sitting in his palace and he's like, wait, I'm up in this real rich mansion and the Lord is dwelling out there in a tent. That's not right. And he, there's something in his heart that he wants to build a house for the Lord to rest among his people. And we can see that this isn't like a brand new desire for David. Um, there's a Psalm that he wrote, Psalm 132, long before this, where he says, I won't rest, I won't sleep until I have built a house for the Lord to dwell. So there's something in David's heart, (laughs) there's something in David's heart that he wants to build a house for the Lord to dwell in. Um, Okay. You ever like, it's like it's there, it's like I just got to find the right words for it, but I really want to get it out. I'm actually going to pray if that's okay. Lord, I just ask, I think I know what you want to say this morning. I don't want to just like ramble and get words out just to get them out. (laughs) Um, So Lord, would you just come now? Would you just, would you just speak? Your servants are listening this Lord, this morning. I ask that the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart would be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, Lord. I'm just going to listen for a moment. Lord, there's, just, there's something in this story with David. There's something in this relationship that you built with him, that you had with him, that means this covenant that you established with him, that means something for us today. Lord, all the things that, that you placed in David's heart, um, I pray that you would just allow us to tap into that this morning. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let's look here. Um, so... Can you pull up uh, that, that last slide? Yep. I will also give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So in this message, the Lord is telling him, 
you know, what he kind of says first is, hey, David, you have this desire to build me a house to be among my people, and you're actually not going to do that, right? Like he says, you aren't going to be the one to build me a house. However, one that comes after you, one of your descendants, your own flesh and blood, will be the one to establish my house. And it's, so I think one thing that the Lord just wants to, to say to us this morning is when we look at these covenants, including especially this covenant, when he makes a promise, he is fiercely faithful to fulfill that promise. And so you can see how deep he is here. He's like layers deep in this because what he says is your descendant will be the one to build me a house. And who he means in the immediate sense here is Solomon, one of David's sons, will eventually rise up and take David's throne, and he will be the one to fulfill David's desire to build a temple for the Lord. So the Lord does fulfill that promise to David that though you aren't the one to build me a house, your son Solomon is going to. And also, (laughs) even in that, we see that Solomon building this temple cannot be the fulfillment of David's heart for the Lord. Like David wants, he's tapping, this is what it is. David gets something that like, I don't know if many before him got, but the Lord's giving us access to these days. And it's that the Lord's number one desire is to dwell with us. Like, think about that for a second. The king of kings seated on a throne like the throne of all thrones, who is right now, as we speak, seated in heaven with elders and angels and creatures surrounding his throne day and night, lifting up praise and worship to him. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That king of kings, his number one, his greatest desire is to dwell with us, with you and with me. Like we are... We are his beloved. And David, like, somehow David tapped into this, even in those early days, long before he was king, he taps into this reality that the Lord wants most of all to be with his people. And so that's when David makes this oath in this psalm, like, I won't sleep, I will not rest until I build you a house, Lord. Because David understands that the Lord above all wants to be with his people, right? And so he thinks the only way this can happen is to build a house so that the Lord's, the Ark of the Covenant can rest in there and we can be with him all day and night, right? And that's good. And that even speaks for us something today. But what I'm saying is even in Solomon building that house, building that temple and placing the Ark in there, it's really not the fulfillment of what the Lord actually wants, right? The Lord's final destination isn't in, an, in a chest, a cedar chest, right? The Lord's final destination is like in the fullness, like where his glory is, <laughs> his glory is literally the sun. Like it says in heaven, like there will not be no, any sunshine for his glory will light up the whole thing, right? That is the final thing where the Lord's glory is just fully unleashed and we are able to exist in the fullness of his presence, right? And so there's something good in this covenant. There's something good in David's heart to want to build this house. And Solomon does build the house. And I want to talk about his tent in a minute. Um, 
But what we're actually looking forward to here, like the ultimate fulfillment of this, is actually that Jesus is going to come. Like he is actually the one that's going to come and establish like this eternal house. Right? So the temple was erected and then it was destroyed and then we actually just went through it in Ezra and Nehemiah where the temple was rebuilt. Right? And what does Jesus say when he comes? Like, destroy the temple and I will rebuild it in three days. Jesus actually is coming as the fulfillment of this promise. This thing that David's tapping into that, Lord, you want to be with your people and we want to be with you, so let me build you a house so that you can be with us. Jesus is the fulfillment of that. Jesus becomes that eternal temple, right? That, like, creates this eternal, uh, intimate relationship between man and God. Right? And the Holy Spirit comes and fills us. Like Jesus is the fulfillment of David's desire. He becomes the house. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. That's Jesus. Jesus came, he died, he conquered death, and he was resurrected upon this throne. And ain't nobody ever going to knock him off of that throne, right? So David's thinking descendants. God is thinking Jesus, who, by the way, does come through the line of David, is going to be that fulfillment. That this one that descends from the line of David, his throne will be established and it will never be taken away. So, like, do we see, like, the richness of, like, this covenant was created hundreds of years, hundreds of years before Jesus ever even touched soil on earth? Do we see the richness of the heart of God that even here, he's, he's thinking with eternity in mind? Even here, he's delivering a promise that sounds great to David, right? No, you aren't going to build me a house, but I'm going to build you a house. And your name is going to rem- be remembered as one of the greatest who have ever walked the earth. And your throne, your, the throne of your descendant will be established forever. That sounds amazing to David. But David has no idea what the Lord really means here. That he is sending one who will come and will conquer sin and conquer death and will be enthroned for all eternity. Your throne, that I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Just a couple of, I have them in here, a couple of verses that point to this. So, Later on, um, again, hundreds of years after this promise was made, the prophet Jeremiah recalls it as the Lord is speaking to him. Right? Remember, the prophets would hear a message from the Lord, they would receive it, and they would give it to the people on behalf of the Lord. This was how the prophets were existing, and a lot of times those messages weren't what the people wanted to hear, but that is sometimes the role of a prophet. If you're a prophet, then you can say amen. Um, okay, Jeremiah 33 In those days, and at that time, I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line. He will do what is just and right in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved, and Jerusalem will live in safety. This is the name by which it will be called, the Lord our righteous Savior. So he's recalling this, right? That out of, like, out of David's family tree will come one who will do what is right and is just in the land. 
Speaking of Jesus, for this is what the Lord says, David will never fail to have a man to sit on the throne of Israel, nor will the Levitical priests ever fail to have a man to stand before me continually to offer burnt offerings, to, to burn grain offerings, and to present sacrifices. So then listen to this. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. This is what the Lord says. If you can break my covenant with the day and my covenant with the night, so that day and night no longer come at their appointed time, then my covenant with David, my servant, and my covenant with the Levites can be broken. What's he saying here? If you can change the way I've set up the day and the night, if, if you can break my covenant with day so that when day comes, the light comes, and when night comes, it is dark. If you can break those things, then sure, my covenant with David can be broken. What's he actually saying? He's saying there is no physical possible way that I could break my covenant with this man. That when I say there is one coming whose throne will be established forever, that's what's going to happen. And there is nothing that can be done about that. So see the fierce faithfulness of the Lord that when he makes a promise, he delivers. And sometimes, oftentimes, that promise is way deeper than we even think it is. If the day, if you can break my covenant with the day and the night, then my covenant with David can be broken. It cannot be broken. And then we see it fulfilled, right, when Jesus comes. Even while he's walking on the earth, two blind men come up and they begin to follow him. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on us. They're calling him son of David. Like the, the people, the religious leaders, everybody knew these scriptures that there was one coming from David's line who was going to be this Messiah, right? But the big debate was, is Jesus is this person? Is he him or not? <laughs> is he him or not? These men, like they show that they believe that he's the one because they're following him saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on us. Even in Jesus walking on the earth, he's fulfilling this covenant with David, that I am one coming after David, a descendant of David from his line, whose throne will be established forever, who will do what is right and just in the land. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on us. Look at this, Revelation 22. I know this is a little discombobulated. Thank you for rolling with me this morning. Just is what it is. But look, Revelation 22, the last chapter in the Bible. These are the last words that we have from Jesus. The last recorded words that we have in the canon of Scripture from Jesus in the whole Bible, right? Look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to each person according to what they have done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And then in verse 16, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. For I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. This covenant that he spoke with David thousands of years ago is fulfilled all through Jesus coming and at the very end in in the you know at the end of the end when Jesus comes back he is called I am the root and the descendant of David God is still fulfilling this covenant 
He has not even yet still forgotten his covenant with David. Jesus like finalized it, right? When he was on the cross, like this covenant isn't, it's not like it's being finalized in a way where it might not end up the way we think it is. Like Jesus, it was over and done when Jesus raised from the grave, right? And is ascended in heaven. But even then, I will, like your name will be remembered as one of the greatest on earth. At the very end of the Bible, Jesus calls himself the root and the descendant of David. And what does that mean? It means one who came before David, the root, and the descendant, the one who came after David. It's just, it's a fierce, fierce faithfulness of the Lord. And I love that we're going through these covenants because we see the same thing with each one. It's not like this is the only one that he fulfilled. He fulfilled all of them. Um, and it's so important to see because when we think about Jesus just popping up on the scene at one point and saying all these things, when we're aware of what he said, what the Lord said hundreds of years before that, and then we see Jesus showing up and fulfilling those things, it creates history with the Lord. It creates a richness to what the Lord is saying, right? Like he has had this plan in action from the beginning. He has been sharing his heart with us from the beginning. And it's super important to know these things to know what he spoke even before he came so that we can see what he did fulfill when he was on earth and what he is yet fulfilling even now. Okay, so now I think I'm supposed to talk about the 10th thing. So I won't go too much longer. I know I've already talked a good bit. Um, but I am supposed to say something about this, so I will keep it brief. Um, I think that this this thing about David's tent is going to be important for us in this coming season. Um, but you remember where I was talking earlier about David's heart? He tapped into something from the Lord that was like, the Lord wants to dwell among his people. And so how can I make that possible? Like, I just want to like, I want to have, give you a place to rest. And I want to lift like praise and worship to you as much as possible. And I want you to just be with your people. So David sets up, even though he's not allowed to build a temple, that the Lord didn't have him do that, he was allowed to set up this tent where the Ark of the Covenant like existed, right? But here's what's crazy. So the, the tabernacle before that Moses constructed, it had all these instructions, like there were these outer court and the inner court, and then there was the Holy of Holies, and the tent, or the Ark had to go in the Holy of Holies, and, and there were all of these things set up. So then David, when he sets up his tabernacle, it's a lot different. So you just have one open room, kind of like this. And what he did was he placed the ark in the center. And around that ark, he hired musicians and singers who were priests. You know, um, priests were people whose like life commission was to just minister to the Lord in whatever way. So some of those Levites who were musicians and singers, he placed them around the ark to day and night lift up praise and worship. Right? So picture that. A room, the presence of God in the middle, praise and worshipers all around it, lifting up worship day and night. Other priests were in the, in the tent doing other duties, but just for, like ministering to the Lord day and night. What does that remind you of? Heaven! Doesn't that sound like what we hear in Revelation 4 and 5? 
that the king is seated on this throne, and around his throne is this sea of glass, and around it are these elders and these creatures who are day and night casting down their crowns, singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive honor and power and wisdom and wealth and strength forever. Amen. Singing new songs unto the Lord. David set up this tent like somehow David had a revelation into what heaven is like. And what, and what really what heaven is like is day and night ministering to the heart of God, lifting up praise and worship. And if you're a kid, I promise you it will not be boring. There's going to be a lot more happening in heaven. I used to think as a kid, someone said this recently, but I used to think, oh, that sounds so boring, man. Staying around singing hymns all day and whatever. And No, 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 no. When we're in the presence of God, it will be your joy and your delight to cast down your crown. And, and to sing before him, and we're going to do so much more than that. But this picture of heaven is day and night being with the Lord and offering our hearts to him. So what does David do? He goes and he constructs this tabernacle as close to that as he can get, right? It's a tent, but we'll make it work. We're going to put the ark in the middle, and day and night, we're going to lift up praise and worship. So he creates this room that is dedicated unto the Lord. We are going to minister to your heart all the time. And if you look, you can, I think a lot of those psalms that we read, you know, a lot of those are songs. And I think a lot of them were like written in the context of that place of praise and worship because David wrote a lot of them and some of the others that were written were written by people he had assigned to that tent, like groups of Levites he had assigned to that tent. So it's, it's like this, this room that existed where day and night worship and praise is happening as close as humans can get to heaven, right? And new songs are coming out of it. And the Lord is dwelling among his people. And so here's where I want to say, I think we're going to say more about this in the coming age, but I do believe that the Lord is resurrecting that in this in this day like he's resurrecting that sort of ministry like he is putting it on some people's hearts um to make that like a primary call on their life or a significant call on their life to be in that context of praise and worship and just ministering to the heart of god and here's what's super 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 cool about that um the lord actually reveals that part of why he wants that is for mission. So David resurrects his tent, or he creates his tent, right? And this is like the, the ark, and they're doing their thing. By the way, that, that tent lasted for 33 years, which is totally prophetic of the life of Christ. <laughs> um, I heard someone say in a message recently, hey, they think that David tapped into the, the heart of God that he desires mercy, not sacrifice. Because they didn't offer burnt offerings in this temp, this tabernacle. They did that in the other. But that the Lord prefers mercy over sacrifice. Um, anyway, later on, hundreds of years after that, um, the prophet Amos uh, says this. Um, well, he says something, and then I'm going to say it in a minute. Uh, he says something about the, the, ta- the um, tabernacle of David, that the Lord's resurrecting it. And then later on, after Jesus is gone, James, who's one of the apostles that's like left to start the early church, they're in this place where people are still thinking about, well, is, is the good news of Jesus for the Gentiles too, or is it just for us as Jews? Like they're still having those conversations. This is what James says. Um, he recalls the words of Amos, and 
He says, brothers, listen, Simon has described us how God's first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this, as it is written. So this is recalling Amos's words hundreds of years before that. After this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. Even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things, things known from long ago. So he's resurrecting this, the, the idea of the temple, the tabernacle of David, which what, what was it? It was a place of nonstop praise and worship. That's what it was. It existed to lift up praise and worship to the Lord completely and totally. And it says in these last days, the Lord is resurrecting that thing among his people, among his bride. And what will it do? It will, like, it will draw the nations to the table. Like, it will draw the Gentiles to the table. So, I think it's like, as he's, as he's making us as a people, because we get to participate that in, with that in some way, shape, and form. We use the words like white hot center. Like, as the family of God, we want to be this white hot center of God's presence, Right? Like, where his presence is primary. Like, he comes first, and our ministry unto his heart comes first. Right? And where two or more are gathered, I'm in the midst. We want to create space for the Lord to dwell in his manifest presence among us. And it's just amazing to see that even in that, like, that is, a, that is participating in mission. That as we create these pockets of his presence, he is drawing the nations in. The nations will come to the table, right? So even what I was saying earlier today about like each of us have a sound to lift, we all get to participate with this in some way. We are all part of the bride of Christ, and we all get to participate with this sound of worship, with lifting our hearts to him. For some of you, it's going to be a call to lift it day and night to be a part of, uh, you know, a sort of thing where worship and praise is happening day and night. For some of you, it's going to be, I live my life on mission, and I'm like con- continually coming back to this place of prioritizing his presence, right? And then I take that out with me on mission. What the Lord is doing is he's partnering this, 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 this intimacy between God and man and worship and praise. He's partnering that with, with this Holy Spirit drawing the nations in, drawing our neighborhoods in. And we can see that he started that way before Jesus even came. By David tapping into this heart of God and establishing this house for prayer and worship, we see that Jesus came and became the fulfillment of that. And now he's resurrecting that heart among his bride to want to lift 24-7 praise and worship and how that is going to draw the nations in how it participates with all of our, our, our mission, all of our strategy, all of the things that the Lord places on our hearts to love those around us, to lift up the voice of the marginalized, right? All the things that he puts on the heart of his bride to speak truth to the lies that, right, you can only be this much, or because society or the certain systems have said things to you, you can only be this. No, 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 no. Right? The Lord is speaking things to the heart of his bride to say, no, there's a light in the darkness. Right? And you are worth what the king says you are worth. Those things, like, they come from his heart. And his heart is revealed when we prioritize his presence.